2: Put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
0: And welcome to the show, folks. I'm Rod Rodriguez, as always, host of the Back Brief ConnectingVets.com. At Rod Pod Rod, I'm gonna throw all my Twitter. I'm gonna throw all the handles on now because if I wait to the end, I know some of you guys aren't waiting to the end. I, I know this, but you should, especially for this episode, because we've got a banger, folks. We got a banger. I've got Jack Murphy here, the wonderful, the and ineffable is that a word? Ineffable? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, what? I don't know why the word ineffable came to mind. I'm not even (laughs) sure what the fuck that means. I I could be insulting you. I I don't even know what ineffable means. It's okay. I'm used to it, Rod. (laughs) Thick skin. Thick skin. Um, This weekend, this is why you folks need to be on the Twitters. You need to be on the tweetings, okay? You need to be on the Twitters, inside the Google machine, because I'm scrolling through my Twitter over the weekend, and then I see something from Jack Murphy pop up. And the thing that catches my eye, first of all, is the headline. Jack, you got to walk us through this. Why should people, what did people miss this weekend if they weren't on the tweeting? Yeah, man.
1: Uh, So what went out on Saturday was an article that I worked on for a long time, uh, putting a lot of puzzle pieces together. Uh, The title of it is the CIA sent a team of four operators on a spy mission targeting China. None came back. That is published uh, by Yahoo News this weekend. And the story is about a CIA covert operation in 2008 that went awry, and four CIA employees were killed.
0: Holy shit! So that that you know that's the thing that got to me about your 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 tweet was like, CIA. You know we got a maritime operation. Uh, the Chinese are involved. We got American guys. Uh, you know American uh, oper- operatives. Is that the right? What would you? How, uh, would, we, you, we, how would you? They're proprietary contract employees um, at the end of the day.
1: Um, they were working for a CIA uh, commercial cover company.
0: So uh, it, for, you know, to, to talk about this, I decided to rock out my uh, CIA mug that I got at their wonderful gift shop. Shout out to CIA.gov. <laughs> it's, interesting, it's interesting you mentioned that. Remind me about the gift shop
1: at the end of this story, because there's, a, there's a, an anecdote there that is not in the article that I can tell.
0: Uh, yeah, 100% same here. Um, I, I went down there for actual business, like I actually presented uh, some government stuff down to to those folks. And uh, I was there with other army guys. Uh, and it was kind of funny to us because um, I don't know how they hire at the CIA, but you have to be like, I don't know, between a seven and a 10 in looks to work for the CIA. I was, I was flabbergasted. I was sitting there like, who are these people? They, they all stepped out of like GQ and like <laughs> they, these maggots. They're like, all the women were beautiful. All the guys were like chiseled John and like had form fitting suits. And I'm like me and my four dumpy army guys are like. Wearing your like puffy uniforms. <laughs> Not even that, man. We had our off the rack JC penny jackets, man. It, I felt like. With the gold buttons. Yeah, hundred percent. We we I, I was like, dude, we're like the chess club, and the jocks just showed up and was like, <laughs> "Stop eating, just dump your dump your lunch. Fuck it, let's get out of here." <laughs> cool. But anyway, so the CIA, um, we got these. So l- let's talk about this cutouts thing. Let's talk out. Let's talk a little bit about the fact that we have a cover company. we hear that we hear about cover uh, companies in movies, um, Born Identity style. What, what is this in reality? What are these things? Uh, so there's a, yeah, a long history
1: of this. Um, you can look back to um, Air America during the Vietnam conflict that we had these commercial companies, that the CIA had built these commercial companies to fly um, you know, covert, deniable operations. So Air America was the CIA's secret airliner that could ferry people and it could ferry supplies around Southeast Asia um, without drawing undue attention to themselves. And there were a whole, uh, it was a whole network of companies, really. And we continue to do this to this day. So to other countries, the CIA builds these companies out of whole cloth, as one retired uh, officer told me, and they serve as the, the front that the CIA can hide behind um, in order for them to launch operations. And this is all perfectly legal and lawful, and there's nothing um, nefarious about it. This is just the way that intelligence services have to go about their business,
0: because obviously you're trying to keep some secrets (laughs) in that line of work. So, when you say they're built out of whole, they're they're built from whole cloth, and they're actual. Are these business? Do these businesses actually function, or are they just like on paper?
1: Some do, and some don't. Um, I so a lot of people are familiar with the concept of the knock the non-official cover. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them may be running profitable businesses. I, I couldn't say for a matter of fact. Um, however, the company that I ended up looking at is, uh, interesting. And what, one of the tells for me that kind of gave it away when I started looking at it was that they claim to sell boats, but there's no boats in their Marina like ever. So, <laughs> What they say they do Uh, on paper, they're not actually doing as near as I can tell. And so that, but they own this big piece of property down in, down in Panama city, Florida. Um, You know, I had, I had a friend go and drive by the the company and take a look at them. I mean, it's like barbed wire fence with the slats through the fence. So you can't see inside. Yeah. And there's like security cameras, but the parking lots are empty. There's nothing going on there. And so, I, I knew what I was looking for from the get go, but these these indicators start to come up. And if you want, I can go back in time and tell you how this kind of
0: story initially fell into my lap. I guess you could say. A hundred percent. I I, I want to add, you know, I live here in Virginia, mm-hmm. um, just outside of D.C. in the beautiful town of Manassas. Um, what's funny is being in the Intel community, being in the in the know, as as you know, so many people in this area are. Um, I'll be driving places with my kids, and I'll point to a building and like, you see that? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, see all those wires and stuff sticking out at the top? They're like, yeah. I'm like, that's a bank building, or it'll say like, like uh, it'll be like an ice cream parlor, <laughs> some some really weird business, and I'm like, why do they have like a fucking UHF antenna sticking up at the top? And I'm like. These are, I mean, they're, they're all over the place here in Virginia. You can, yeah, yeah. There are if there are certain places if you go into the uh, the they'll have like this little security gate. If you go in the front, the guy will answer, who's checking your ID, and it's like you'll see the little patch, and it's a, a CIA security guard. And you're like, oh shit, bro, I'm just trying to do a U-turn, my man. I'm not trying to like break into the mainframe. Um, how did this story land in your lap, Mr. Murphy?
1: Yeah, well, to say it landed in my lap uh, is maybe exaggerating because of how long it took me to kind of put some of the puzzle pieces together. But uh, I, it initially came up on my radar because a friend of mine, and I, I can—he doesn't mind if I if I use his name in vain. Uh, really good guy named Rick Iannucci. He's a retired Green Beret, and he runs a charity called Horses for Heroes. Uh, he takes, him, yeah. yeah, he takes veterans yeah. out horseback riding uh, in New Mexico, and I mean, Rick is just like he's such a great guy. He's doing like God's work. And I I would love to interview him. He, He, I don't think he'd even do it. Like he doesn't want like publicity or he doesn't want to be in the spotlight. He just, you know, he's just out there trying to help people. He's a really strong Christian guy. Um, so he had somebody come through his organization, somebody he met in, in passing, who was talking about their, uh, their son who died on a, some sort of like weird classified Navy mission in 2008 out in the Pacific. And Rick calls me up and he's like, Jack, man, if anybody knows about this, it's gotta be my man, Jack. And and so he tells me this and I'm like, Rick, I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, I've never heard of this. And so I get a lot of people asking me these types of questions and nine times out of 10, it turns out to be bullshit. Well, this was that one time that this turned out to be something pretty big. Um, And I started looking. All I had to go on was the name of that one gentleman, this one young man who was lost at sea ostensibly on a uh, a classified mission. I found a little charity group that his family started in his name to kind of keep his memory alive uh, and, and do some good things for other people. Uh, you know that this young sailor 's name was Michael Perrick. he was a graduate of the Merchant Marine Academy, and through his website uh, for this foundation, I was able to see there were three other people who died uh, out on this operation. so now I have a place to start looking, and all i can uh, i don 't want to say too much here just because I could be you know maybe revealing too much to uh, to to the public but Let's just say I started requesting records from the government. I started making FOIA requests and things like this. And I was digging as much as I could, um, doing a lot of like internet sleuthing, trying to find out who these three other people were. And I was trying, the way I went about this was just completely insane. Uh, Like my eyes were melting out of my head because I was, I had the date. It was September in 2008 that, that this operation went awry. So I'm looking for people, other people in this, in an area who had died around the same time to see if I can identify who it is. Um, Through the Navy records and and other records I was able to request, I found some slip ups, some slip ups where a CIA front company, what what I later came to find out was a CIA front company was mentioned by name. And I said, well, that's interesting. Like, what is this company? So I started looking at that. Found it, it was in Panama City, Florida. So now I know this sailor, this guy Michael, was working for this company in Panama City, and he died on this date in September. So now I'm looking other people in Panama City, Florida, who died on that date. I was able to identify two others who were lost at sea right around that same time time period. Uh, They were just really strong matches, really strong indicators. I could not find number four for the longest time. What I did was uh, I went looking for the death certificates. It's really, it's generally, it's pretty hard from what I'm told by police officers in Florida. It's really hard to have a person, uh, a death certificate issued when there's no remains, when the person has just essentially disappeared. Um, I, I, kept looking. What I was able to find out was that the lawyer working for the Panama City company fo- consolidated three of the four death certificates. So I was able to get all four, but three of them were consolidated. So that's how I got the fourth name because it was on there with the two others. So the other three sailors, Stephen Stanek was a retired EOD diver, Navy diver, Jamie McCormick, and Daniel Meeks. The, la- the latter two uh, were support guys. Um, I think one of them was a ship's mechanic. Another one belonged to like a big maritime union. I'm not sure exactly what his role was on the ship. Um, so now I have quite a bit of information to go off of, um, but I'm working to try to find people in the CIA uh, who know about, know specifics of this operation. Who knows what really happened here? Because it's great that I have all these indicators. I have this really creepy feeling about what I'm looking at, but I need sources who can actually say, "Yes, that's what you think it is, Jack." Um, and it took—I mean, all of this took like years to do, quite frankly. Uh, eventually, I, I had a—I um, had a meeting with a friend who's a retired CIA officer. We met and had a couple of beers. It was one of those like five, six-hour conversations. And, you know, by the time we're at like hour six or seven, he was like, yeah, Jack, you remember that thing you asked me about a long time ago about uh, South China Sea and, and operation? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And he was like, yeah, you were right. That was us. So finally, I'm having somebody actually confirm that, yes, this was an agency operation. Um, but now I, I don't feel comfortable running this on its own. I need, to, I need a secondary confirmation. Um, And eventually I was able, again, long period of time, I was able to find somebody who knew basically everything about how it had gone down. And at that point I had enough to publish. So I went ahead and started, you know, pitching the article. Um, To actually talk now about what did happen, what, what this really is, what, what really happened here Um, there. So this front company we've been talking about down in Panama city, I'm not mentioning its name, um, to expose them because they, they've done nothing illegal or immoral or wrong. They were doing their job. Um, the company has been around for a long, a long time, actually. Um, Michael Perrick and Stephen Stanek, uh, Daniel Meeks and Jamie McCormick were on a covert operation in the South China Sea. They got on a boat uh, in Malaysia they were working uh, this was a maritime branch operation i should mention there are three paramilitary branches air branch ground branch and maritime branch uh maritime branch was running this operation they were hiding you know so to speak behind this front company they got on a a boat owned by maritime branch about a 40-foot boat uh, and they were taking it from malaysia up the coast of the philippines to japan their cover, their cover story was that they were, uh, someone had purchased this boat in Japan and they were transporting it from point A to point B. Now, in reality, their mission was to stop uh, somewhere um, on an island north of Luzon and Stanek and Perrick would get off the boat wearing commercial scuba gear that was completely deniable if they lost it or if they were captured. You know, there's no American government, no CIA fingerprints on this at all. Uh, And they were to swim uh, a sort of pod that would look like a rock out to one of these islands that they thought the Chinese were messing around on and plant it just below the surface. And this this pod was loaded up with classified technologies that would monitor Chinese naval activity in the area. Once they placed the pod, they would swim back to the boat. They would go uh, up to Japan. They'd chill out in Japan for uh, a couple weeks and then turn around make a return trip recover the device and head back down to Malaysia now what happened in September of 2008 what actually happened was that as they were approaching their area to launch this operation a hurricane blew in across the pacific uh, it was actually downgraded to a tropical storm tropical storm higos uh it was projected to veer north So Stephen Stanick, he had to make a decision about whether or not they were going to go forward with this covert operation. He decided that they were going to go forward with it because the storm was projected to veer north and miss where they were going to be running this mission. They went forward with it, but the storm did not veer, did not change course. And it barreled right down on top of these four guys in a 40-foot boat uh, north of Luzon. At that point, it really didn't matter which direction they tried to escape from. They were going to get broadsided by the storm regardless. The CIA had a beacon on the boat. They tracked it right into the middle of the storm where it disappeared. And that was the last that anyone ever heard of these guys. It was Michael Perrick's 25th birthday.
0: Oh, shit. So how long ago did this all happen? It was 2008 was the mission. So 2008 where, you know, 12 years later, we're finally getting some details. Um, how long? I mean, let's assume there wasn't a Jack Murphy to go in and dig this stuff up. You know, how long would this have gone unheard of?
1: I really don't know. It, that depends on political considerations. Um, way above my head. I think that they probably uh, had a interest in keeping it secret because of the politics of the region right and we're we're really at the beginning of a sort of new cold war with china um and because this operation was targeting china i suspect that it would remain completely secret for a very long period of time
0: and what of the families of the deceased um i know you reached out one of them reached out to you uh what about what, what, no uh, no uh, no none, none of them reached out oh no no I, th- I thought somebody had said that their son was the one that had
1: Right, but he talked to my friend, Rick. Talk to your Rick, friend, that's right. And Rick, and Rick, and Rick asked right. me about it. Okay, so- uh, I, I contacted, I, I tried to reach out to all the families. That was my question. Uh, yeah, they, they did not want to talk to me
0: um, at all. Now, when, when something like that occurs, uh, your kid is part of a CIA operation, you probably don't even know your kid is working in that world. Uh, do they tell you? Does somebody come and tell you, like, listen- we're CIA your son worked for us he passed away
1: yes um so a a month later they they had the the um Japanese actually doing some sweeps trying to see if they could find any survivors or any remnants of of the the ship that they were on they didn't find even a floating life jacket these guys disappeared with they disappeared in the center of the storm and we haven't ever uh, nothing was recovered at all um So now a a month or so goes by, the CIA has to do something uh, with the family members. How are we gonna handle this? They flew the families into Washington, DC. They put them up in a hotel in Tyson's corner and they were brought into a private room. And for the first time, CIA employees told the families that their loved ones had died during a covert operation. Uh, It was very difficult. Um, Family members are upset. They had a lot of questions For the cia that they couldn't answer like what exactly happened right in 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 this in this hurricane and and, you know they don't don't know no one knows exactly what happened um you know one of the family members didn't want to believe that they were really dead you know is it possible that they were uh, kidnapped by the chinese or something like this that they weren't but they had questions that no one could really answer and uh it's tough i mean I, i can't imagine how tough a pill it is To swallow um, for the family members they were then brought to CIA headquarters and there was a ceremony at the CIA's memorial wall where they have uh, stars uh, inlaid in, in white marble for every CIA employee who's died in the line of duty going back to the agency's inception and four stars were added to the wall for these four gentlemen and uh, the families were able to meet with the director. They were able to meet with uh maritime branch. They were able to meet with other people of the, uh, of the special activities division and then sent home. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of the story. Uh, I, I can only imagine, you know, what, what they've had to deal with.
0: Now, one of the family members sounds like they brought up something that <clears throat> I was wondering myself, is it possible that they, that, that they were captured is it i mean no no it, it, this I, I mean storm.
1: I'll, I'll say this within the navy diver community there are rumors um to this day about you know what really happened uh and there's speculation that you know the chinese shot them up or that the chinese snatched them up or all the all these sorts of or, or the pirates attacked them i mean there's all kinds of theories out there Um, But I'm quite confident that I got the the real story on this and that they did get, uh, you know, trapped inside a hurricane, which sank that vessel
0: with all hands on deck being lost. Is this something that the Chinese would have known? um, Like, hey, these guys look like they were trying to do something. They got destroyed out at sea. Um, Prior to this publication of the story, is it possible the Chinese didn't know anything that was going on? in around that island?
1: Well, I hesitate to say what the Chinese do or do not know um, because there's all kinds of spy games going on at, at higher levels. Like, do, can I say for a fact that there isn't, you know, someone in the, in the agency right now leaking secrets to the Chinese as has come out in, the, in several big stories in the last year and maybe they know all about our operations in that area. I mean, I don't know. Um, but I, I think that, yeah, there, there's, they, they maintain their secrecy everyone maintained their secrecy that uh, from the agency um, to the family members who probably had to sign NDAs um, that, that uh, a little boat was lost in a, during a hurricane off the coast of the Philippines. I, I don't necessarily, I would not assume that the CIA, or I'm sorry, I would not assume that the Chinese government knows anything about what they were doing there or that it even happened because, and this is interesting too, as I was writing the story, I have pretty good contacts in the Philippines. And I have pretty good contacts in the U.S. Special Forces community. Man, I reached out to everybody, people who are like the SODF commanders and stuff like that in the Philippines at that time. And said, hey, were you ever out looking for four American citizens lost at sea in this time period? And there were, every single one of them like looked back at me like, what are you talking about? Like Our, our own military completely oblivious that this operation took
0: place. Is that good? I mean, is that? I mean, for, in terms of like maintaining secrecy, one hundred percent. Like these guys are gone; that we've lost contact. This is supposed to be a secret operation. Let's just quietly flip the switch down and 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 protect right, the family. Right. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, these were American citizens. They were doing something in, in the line of their country. Um, I, I don't know. I kind of feel a little bit both ways on that. Like, should we have done a better job of looking for them? Maybe they could have survived. Maybe they. I mean. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that's maybe impossible to say.
1: I, I don't think there's anything that we could have done for them, unfortunately. Um, you can keep looking and looking. Um, I, I don't know what the odds are that you would ever, you know, find anything, though.
0: Take me back to this island that we're talking about. You know, we've got this secret mission to in a, a a rock with, like, super cool technology in there to observe, um, I'm sure, ships and whatever. Um, what's the significance of this island? Why put this stuff? What What was the point of this mission? Um, you know, and, that, that, and yeah. how, is it,
1: how is it evolved today? That, that's a really good question. And to be completely honest with you, I, I haven't been able to identify the exact island that the the target was um, that they were placing this this sensor on. However, that area is, you know, it's a strategic uh site um not quite a choke point i guess you could say it's a it's a maritime choke point and long story short that area is the ingress and egress in and out of the south china sea mm. and that is strategic waters particularly for the chinese government i mean you've seen them building all of these artificial islands on like reefs and atolls in the south china sea like they see this as their backyard and they're expanding outwards in an attempt to maintain strategic depth. Uh, they do not want the U.S. Navy right there up on their shores. They want us pushed back, pushed all the way out of the South China Sea, which is also about maintaining their economic access. Um, I mean, this is like old school stuff. There, there are theories about naval power and whoever controls the high seas controls you know, the global economy, which has been true in so many ways. You can also look at the Chinese developing this new Silk Road going across Eurasia. That's another way to completely get around American naval power. So that area that these guys were lost in, I'll just say it's strategically significant, although I don't know the exact specifications of the mission
0: that they were trying to complete. Have you reached out to the Chinese and see if they wanted to talk about their uh, position on that? No, 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 I no, I haven't. <laughs> I, I think that's the next step. I'm sure they, they'd love to invite you to the embassy here in DC. Come in.
1: Oh, I'm the sure they would. you, I'm have sure a they coffee.
0: Would. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I once visited the uh, the embassy of Oman, um, and that was that. That was it. Was it's Oman, but it was kind of a scary situation because uh, once the, the gates close behind you, you're in Oman. Um, I, I, now, I I asked the question of whether or not you reached out to the Chinese government. It's, but at the same time, I, I'm very curious about what, what they have to say about stuff like that. Um, this is the other side of the story. and um, Well,
1: we do have another, uh, another curious incident. In uh, 2016, uh, there was a underwater drone that the Chinese Navy uh, plucked up out of the ocean uh, about 50 miles off the coast of the Philippines that they said was monitoring th- their ship. They grabbed it up out of the water. The U.S. government protested and said, hey, that's, a, that's ours. That's, a, that's an oceanographic, you know, uh, survey device. Stop screwing with our stuff. You can't take our drone. Four days later, the Chinese met us in international waters and were like, here's your drone, bro. And everyone moves on. So I, I think it's just interesting, and this is somewhat speculative as well, that, you know, the, the uh, use of aerial drones, predator drones, over places around the world, around the Middle East, is something that sort of short circuits American foreign policy because a drone doesn't have the same value as a manned aircraft. So if a drone goes down or something happens, everyone's just like, ah, whatever. And the same happened here in 2016. I mean, they pulled the drone out of the water and the Chinese are like, eh, ah, here's your drone back. Get the hell out of here, you know? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you know, it, it very, and, and from our perspective, also very different, than a covert operation where four men are lost uh it's a horrible loss and you know and at the same time that you're trying to deal with that loss you're also trying to maintain the secrecy of the operation so i mean that it's just so much messier than using robotics to try to accomplish um
0: ostensibly the same mission do you think that mission was accomplished later I mean, I know we're, we're we're traveling into the we're now going into the waters of speculation, but that's twelve years ago. I mean,
1: I, I mean, we would like to think that we have um, you know highly competent uh, you know intelligence services that can do anything, anytime, anywhere, and I'd like to think that they have put these pods on every island in the South China Sea. Um, but the reality is that these missions are difficult to do. Um, sometimes they go wrong, as we've seen. Um, so I, I really, the I really don't know, but I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that maritime and undersea espionage continues in the South China Sea. I mean that that much I have no doubt about.
0: <laughs> and we've seen other situations where, like in South America, I think uh, Venezuela, you know, they they uh, Bolivia, maybe I can't remember which South American country, but you know they claim to have captured CIA guys or former, uh, you know, uh, SF guys that got out. They're now, you know, working Mm -hmm. for some other country or some other government or maybe some other uh, company. That's what it was for, some other corporation. Um, That's not completely unheard of to say, we've captured these guys and to show them on, put them on display. I don't know if China would necessarily do that or if they got a little more chill in their game where they're like, well, if we did capture somebody, let's just keep this under wraps, keep this to ourselves. Keep you know drive on um what does this mean for the future of espionage or or our work against the chinese expansion into the uh the china sea
1: yeah well that's the big question i think and it's not easy to answer that either you know it's like uh if you ever seen the the film burn after reading where they get to Good the movie. very end of the film and the, the cia guy is like after all these crazy events have transpired and he's like, so what have we learned? Fucking nothing. I I mean, that that's harsh, but I mean, that may be the case. Maybe, maybe this operation took place and it's another failed covert operation, but it does really not impact the broader swath of American intelligence operations. We, it's like, you know, just like the army, like, Hey, we lost that platoon it's war. Yeah. And, but the bat the you know the war goes on. Um that that may be the case here. Uh I you know, I think we would all like to think and hope that they do a thorough after action review the way you would in the military and, and try to improve things and see what can be done. Um but I don't know. I, I really don't know what, what it means. I, I think it just it's a um it it definitely Reveals that we are conducting espionage in this area, that we're interested in this area, and I think that we're going to be continued uh, to be interested in the South China Sea for the uh, you know for a considerable amount of time. Uh, what it's what the real uh, specific long term impacts, if any, I'm not sure.
0: As you know, you you, you mentioned that this <clears throat> this story didn't exactly land in your lap you've been working on this for a couple of years now uh it seems like the story's come to a bit of a conclusion has it come to a conclusion for you is there more to this that you're looking for where do we go from here
1: i think i think this is pretty much the conclusion for me um unless there's some big revelation that uh i'm just unaware of um i think that's probably it um which is sad. We all, I mean, I understand like we all kind of want there to be more. We want there to be some sort of closure. And in this case, there isn't, there isn't really a happy ending. Um, you don't get that kind of catharsis of like knowing exactly what happened because we don't. And I don't think we,
0: I don't think we ever will. That's real life. That's yeah. real life right there. That yeah, don't, it don't is. The happy and, endings.
1: And this is a, just like a little interesting, like I, I hate to sort of like, make this about, uh, about anything other than the four guys who perished. Um, I would say it was interesting when I was trying to pitch the story because I had some editors come back to me and say, where is the narrative content? Like, how do we turn this into a narrative? Uh, and I, I tried to explain to them, I was like, look, you know, like you get, you guys did this with Black Hawk, uh, or with uh, zero dark 30, you took a mission and you tried to turn it into a narrative with a a character arc and a beginning, a middle and an end. There's good guys, there's bad guys, Mm. but the reality, it it just does not work like that. You know, in a fictional uh, fictional film like Zero Dark Thirty, there's some big differences between that and reality. And, you know, the the biggest difference is that fiction makes sense. It makes sense. There's a storyline. Reality, it often does not make sense
0: yeah i I agree with that um i remember talking about some of the podcast episodes that i've done in the past a couple of different shows and you know one of the things that i was asked was like well can we uh how do we how do we make this happy (laughs) How how do we turn this into something more a little more digestible for people and i'm like well you don't this is real life this is what happens to people um it's it's not always pleasant it's not always there's very rarely do we have the opportunity to put a bow on something and be like, and done. There's always questions left unanswered. And, and in this case, you have four people who have never been recovered. Um, and there's there, there will always be a question mark on this. You know, even though you can tell me uh, 99.9% chance that they, they were just lost at sea and, and their bodies are unrecoverable, there's always going to be a seed of doubt in somebody's mind especially a family member who's thinking who wants to hold on to something maybe they're somewhere even if they're being held maybe they're alive maybe there's hope maybe you know in five years or maybe soon the Chinese will be like hey guess what kind of like the drone thing like they're just going to meet out in the scene and be like hey by the way we found these guys on a raft here you know there's that hope um I think that we all know that that's most likely not going to happen.
1: I mean, we, we would all like to have hope and we'd all love to see these uh, any Americans uh, repatriated. right? Uh, but uh, I'm afraid they're just, that, that hope just mm-hmm. doesn't exist. And I wouldn't want to give anyone false hope. <coughs> I mean, these, Absolutely these, these These four guys, they, they died serving their country. They, they died honorably. And I think they deserve to be remembered
0: that way. It just sucks that we don't have an end. Like like a definitive, that's it. Um, We have to kind of create it for ourselves. And I think that's um, that's a rough, that's a tough pill to swallow. And uh, I wish the best for their families. And I think that we all agree that uh, we're all thankful for their service. I mean, it's it's interesting. One of the people that you mentioned in your story, uh, maybe one or two of them were Merchant Marines, right?
1: Yeah. uh, Michael Perrick was a graduate of the Merchant Marine Academy. He was, a, he was a young guy. He was, I think, 25 when he when he passed away on this mission. Um, like, dude was in great shape, played football for the Merchant Marine Academy. I mean, he, he, was, a, he was a stud, you know?
0: Good guy, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure he's a great guy. Is it common to recruit? Uh, you see, when, when I think of, like, CAA guys, um, I'm always thinking, you know, recruiting from the special operations field. You know, we're pull, pulling from the Green Berets and the Navy SEALs and whatnot. Um, I would never have guessed like merchant Marine or anything like that. Um, is that a common thing for the CIA to go pull somebody from a non-military background like that?
1: Uh, I don't know that it's
0: uncommon. Um, mm-hmm. You know,
1: the other, the, the guy who was the leader for this operation, Steven Stanek, he was a, a career, he was a career EOD diver. Um, I FOIAed his uh, fit reps from the Navy like stellar reviews across the board. I mean, he, he was a solid guy.
0: Interesting. Got yeah, anything else for us? A- anything else to wrap this up, Jack?
1: Well, man, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff. I mean, this, this, uh, there's so much going on here. Um, we can even get into like through this story and, and my hunting around, I kind of became acquainted with the Navy diver community. Okay. And there's
0: some stuff there that we can get into for a little bit if you're interested. Uh, I think everyone is interested in knowing exactly what you dived into. What? What? Oh, what? oh wow. I did, wow. I went there, man. I did it. <laughs> I did it. You know how long? I mean, when you put a dive joke. Uh, but go for it, man. What, 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 what did you discover? Well, uh,
1: I knew, you know, very little about these guys or what they did. There's different types of Navy divers who have different jobs. Um, I'd say overall, all of these guys have some pretty big balls doing what they do. It's a, it's a tough line of work um interestingly there's also the navy saturation divers um there's a navy dive experimentation unit experimental dive unit down in panama city that steve stanick used to work for at one point point. and there and elsewhere in the navy over the years they these guys it's like the nasa of the underwater subsurface world like everyone probably thinks about navy seals It's really these guys, they're doing like all these science experiments on divers. Like they'll test out like new mixes of oxygen on them while they're like on the exercise bike and things like this. And then like change up the O2 output or change this and that just to like see like, how can we get a little bit more bottom time for these guys when they're at depth? Uh, I talked to one guy who like they were, they were testing out on him different uh, gas mixes to see how deep he could get. Um, and this guy was, he told me he was like almost a thousand feet underwater at one point. And what happens is nice. that it gets, you're so deep and it, under so much pressure, it becomes so much work to move around that you're expending more oxygen, just like being down there. And like there's this, all this like math and physiology that goes into it. And he was saying like breathing off of, uh, the mask, breathing off of, uh, off the mixed gas that at that depth it's so compressed that it's like you're breathing in maple syrup and you're having to suck harder and harder on the respirator oh. just to get it out. Yeah. It's like, God. so, so like wild stuff. Um, and these guys uh, amongst other things, they, they are engaged in underwater espionage and what they will do is lock out of submarines uh, like, like the big U S Navy submarines uh, at depth, and they'll go and tap undersea fiber optic cables. And, and this continues, this this, this, oh this happens God. This happens all the time. Like we're, we tap fiber optics, the French do, the Brits do, the Israelis do. Um, but we do this at, at depth. Um, and I'm going like, to go back in time a little bit to when this first started. Uh, Operation Ivy Bells in the 1970s. And they actually had components of ivory bells um, the logistics for it around Panama City, Florida. Like I said, it's a, it's a hub for this type of activity. They, uh, I talked to a diver who was involved in Ivy Bells early, early on. And they went into uh, this bay off the coast of Kamchatka in Russia. And they'd get the periscope up. And they'd be like looking on the shoreline of then the Soviet Union until they, hit, they found the sign that said like, don't dig here, there's fiber optic cables. They'd find that sign in Cyrillic. <laughs> so then they know there's a fiber optic cable coming off into the, into the ocean. So they'd take the, their, uh, their submarine over to where the cable is. The divers would lock out of the sub. Uh, and they'd swim over there and conduct the operation and put the uh, tape recorder so these are the analog days it was not digital it was analog like big big spools of tape and they put it uh, a tap on the cable and he was saying when you were able to do that you could dial down through the cable and hear every level of Soviet communication going through it so like you'd hear like you know the Soviet officers talking, but like you dial down and you'd hear like a Russian sailor playing Elvis over the radio to his girlfriend back back in Moscow. Like it was just insane the Whoa. stuff that 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 they could hear. It was like there's,
0: I mean, the crown jewels, I guess, in in a lot of ways, right? Um, so it's very possible th- the Chinese know what's ex what's it, what exactly is on my browser history. <laughs> could be that is disturbing.
1: Uh, um, and then. He was also telling me when they went to recover the device, the recorder, they'd get out there and it was – the first thing he'd have to do is pull off all the horseshoe – or not horseshoe crabs, but like spider crabs, that they were all over the recorder because they were attracted to the warmth of it. Oh, yeah. So he'd have to pull these crabs off. It would take like 45 minutes of pulling them off and like zip-tying the crabs to something else so that they don't come back. Um, to get the tap off, and the reason why he he was explaining to me was that it was because it's a giant tape recorder, right? Okay, what's its power source? A battery?
0: He, he told me it was nuclear. What? Oh my God, are you serious? Yeah, nuclear <laughs> a nuclear power tape recorder. Um, Jesus Christ. Like, uh, that's, that's crazy. That is now you're making me wonder, like this is years ago. In the seventies. Yeah. The seventies. What's at the bottom of the ocean right now?
1: I've been, I've been told that the technology has made significant strides. Uh, of course it's all, it's all digital now. And I'm told the device is about the size of a briefcase.
0: Wow. I wonder if we have to actually still go recover them. Like in person, we have to go and send a guy to pick them up and put them in the sub and put the new one on, or if it's we just walk by it. So as you may be, you're
1: probably beginning to tell that I went down multiple like tangents and rabbit holes Uh, in the course of the story. Uh, There, there's something called upwards falling payloads, which is, so you'd have a, a payload. Let's say it's this briefcase. Um, you could fill like a balloon with gas like poof, that's buoyant and it would shoot up through the ocean and it would actually pop out of the ocean because it's moving so quickly and, and go into the sky and it may, it
0: could potentially be recovered that way. And and, and of course my cartoon minded brain sees a sailor with a rowboat, just go <laughs> picks up the thing, puts it in this thing and off he goes. Um, that's amazing. It, it, what's crazy is like, kind of going back to the experimental part, I can't imagine being a diver. I mean, it's okay, Rod, today we're gonna fill you up with this, uh, this mixture of gases. Like, well, is it, is it safe? We think, we think so. The rats, the rats took a while to die. So I think we, we got time to, to pull you back in. Like,
1: as as you rats. can imagine, like these guys have like respiratory
0: problems and all, all sorts of uh, health issues. Oh my God, that's crazy um jack amazing story thank you for sharing that and um i really think that you've probably you know it it, your your exploration of the story of these four gents that that passed away doing their job um i think that these kinds of stories really do bring some closure for this for these families and illuminate some of the work that we do as a country uh also illuminating the fact that there are other things happening around the world outside of like the political bubble that we seem to put over the country yeah. and a lot of our issues there there's, Hey, there's a China, there's a Russia, there's a lot going on. There's the, the stakes are big out. Uh, the stakes are big out there. Um, and that means that the, the stakes are big in here as well. I mean, this next election is going to dictate how we handle future of these cold wars are we gonna be are we engaging into cold wars are we need to defrost this thing before it gets bad um before we before i let you go i would love to hear the jack murphy forecast uh once you put your your uh your kreskin the amazing hat on what is what do you think is going to happen what do you think is the future for some of the, the the uh the political environment happening out there between us and china because I know that's a big one. That, that's going to be big and that's going to be played yeah. kind of big in the elections this year. Yeah,
1: it's a, that, that is the question of this century. Uh, th- this century is going to be defined by two visions of the future, one from America and one from China. And one wants to be the, the global hegemon uh, continuously. We want to have another American century. The Chinese believe that the century of what they call the century of humiliation is over. And now, that they, they, now it's their turn to be the global hegemon. That is and, so aggressive.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, they are a- Century a re- of humiliation. Is that what, so, <laughs> god damn, that's how they see it?
1: Yes. Uh, and they, they look back on things like the Boxer Rebellion as like something that happened yesterday. They see this as this humiliation of the Chinese people. Uh, if you ask Americans, ask them about the Boxer Rebellion, they're like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and that's common in some parts of the world. I mean, in the Middle East, they talk about sykes Pico like it happened yesterday. It's, uh, you know, in America, we just sort of put our past behind us and move on. Um, so yeah, this is, this is the question. What, what is gonna be the predominant form of governance? Is it gonna be China's panopticon state with, uh, you know, social currency uh, applications that are gonna monitor our entire lives for political correctness? Um, and then but then on the other side, what is the future of American governance? Where are we heading? What, what is our vision for the future? And I don't think we've articulated that very well either. So th- yeah, this is the question. And right now, there is a, a, a new Cold War that is brewing between the United States and China. And all of this could be uh, precipitating the next global war, the next global conflict could be on the horizon. God damn it.
0: I only hope that um, if there is going to be a global war, that we can finish Lovecraft Country, which is on HBO now. Before that, uh, I am on this show. I'm addicted to this show. I, I got to know what happens at the story arc, and it really does come back down to story arc. So I'm going to bring it. See, I'm going to I'm going to Tarantino us. I'm going to connect the dots, man. You know, will there be a story arc? Are, is there a good guy? Is there a bad guy to the thermonuclear Chinese-American-Russian war that, is, that always seems to be looming? Um, I'm not so sure there is. I'm not so sure there's going to be a plot or characters or uh, a Zero Dark Thirty that's going to carry us through that. Um, I think that it's just gonna. I think it's going to be like a bunch of tiny little things that just turn into one stupid big thing.
1: Yeah, well, that's what that's what happens, and that's the big fear, is that we stumbled into war without e- either side really
0: realizing it until it's too late. And uh, let's just hope that we <laughs> – let's just hope it doesn't happen. First of all, that it doesn't happen, and that if it does, it's after the, uh, you know, series finale of Lovecraft Country. I'm going to keep talking – have you watched this fucking show, dude? No, I haven't seen you it. You have to watch Lovecraft Country, folks. Uh, just – Check it out, it's freaking amazing. That's how I'm gonna end it. I'm gonna end this show on Lovecraft Country. No, seriously, man. I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. And you know what, folks, if you're on the tweetings, if you're a Twitterer, if you're on the tweets, make sure you're following at Jack Murphy, R-G-R, because you're gonna get these stories before everyone else does. Uh, I got a chance to, you know, I was, I think the minute you tweeted it, it popped up on my feed and I was like, what? And uh, luckily, my wife is driving the car at the time. So I actually got to read it on the way home. And uh, I, I think I tweet, I think I, I, I messaged you almost immediately like, dude, this is crazy. It's absolutely amazing. And uh, I know you're working on something right now. Super good, super interesting. I'm going to reveal nothing, of course, because um, I can't wait to have this next conversation with you. But um, if things are going the way you think they are, that's going to be it's going to be another banger. It's going to be another bombshell. Um, I'm excited. I'm stoked.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the next, the story, there's a couple things working on, but really it's, a, there's some stuff about uh, the TBI and PTSD stuff in, in uh, special operations that I'm working on, that I think is going to be kind of shocking to people. Um, but I, I got some more homework to do on that before, before dare we run we, it. Dare we
0: say they'll be blown away? <laughs> yes i think they will be <laughs> i'm i'm full of it today folks all right you're all uh, hopped up on goofballs rod goofballs and caffeine and cia mugs here we go that's how we do boys um you had an anecdote you had a story for us about the cia gift shop yeah yeah yeah, yeah, me, I did.
1: yeah so this is not in the article um but when the cia brought the four families uh, of uh of uh Meeks, McCormick, Perik, and Stanek to CIA headquarters for the ceremony. On the way out, they saw the CIA gift shop and they asked like, hey, can, can we go in and get something? And the the CIA people there were very hesitant because like this whole thing is supposed to be like super freaking secret. No, one, no <laughs> one's supposed to know they're here. And, and But here are the families who have just learned that their loved ones died yeah. in service to their country. And it's kind of hard to say no. Open it to the and shop. It, they went in there and they came out like with CIA sweatshirts and mugs and all sorts of stuff. Because it, I mean, that, that sounds kind of like funny on one hand, but on the other, it, it's like, they were proud of uh, that. Their loved ones had
0: served hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. Have you ever been to their gift shop? No, I haven't. They sell the strangest branded shit. Um, not really? just, Oh dude, I was like CIA of golf balls. Um, CIA, of course they got the keychains. I got They got like seven different types of mugs, uh, sweatshirts, hats, uh, shoes, sandals. They even had liquor. I think it was liquor, maybe it was, I don't know. It was like CIA branded drinks. Like the weirdest things. Did they have like
1: t-shirts of like King Guevara with the crosshairs over his face? <laughs> I'm just a- saying. If I'm just they saying,
0: don't they should 100%. I, <laughs> I was so tempted to buy like some gaudy CIA shit just to be like, yep. See that right there? That's my CIA globe or like they had some weird shit there, like crystal crystal sculptures with it reminded me of the gift shop at Carlsbad Caverns. Just like random just random shit with Carlsbad Caverns thrown on it. I don't know. I'm just glad they're they're turning a buck. Uh, I will say though that my experience there was strange. Um, I got to eat at the their lunch their 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 lunch hall, which looks like a '60s airport lounge.
1: Oh yeah, that's awesome!
0: It people looks, smoking cigarettes. It looks exactly like the place you. It, it looks like it's never changed. The seats look like they're from the '60s. Um, you could see people like Mad Men style smoking in that kind of environment but um very it was it was definitely a strange experience walking <laughs> through that built walking through some of the buildings and um just seeing like the everyday how was the, like,
1: the food rod that's what we really want to know
0: it was actually pretty good they have yeah. like vendor like they have it, it's like a legit chow hall like not chow hall like an army chow hall but it's like a you know they have like the starbucks and all this other stuff yeah 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 one thing I did I was warned before I showed up, cash only,
1: oh, really, because they're afraid of handing over cards to uh,
0: vendors, yeah, I got gotcha. you yep, I mean, if you're a CIA operative guy, you do not want to oh. hand over like this is my fucking real name, <laughs> I guess I want to buy yeah a of coffee yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was all cash only. There's like one ATM machine in that entire spot,
2: that and makes
0: sense. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it was very, very odd, but yeah, they were all Dimes. I got <laughs> hand it to the CIA. Um, beautiful women and handsome dudes and four dumpy army guys that had no business being there at all um we're never going we're never returning it just made it- <laughs> And I'll leave you with that folks connecting vets.com go check us out we have uh the wonderful uh Jack Murphy there Phil Briggs is doing that CBS ION um, veterans uh we have um Abby Bennett uh I keep saying, I just forget, Libby Howe, uh, uh, Julia Ledeau, uh, and we're we're out there, folks. We're out there talking about the issues that matter to you, ConnectingVets.com. Make sure you check us out. Back Brief, we're a podcast. We're on YouTube. Uh, I think we're currently shooting out smoke signals right now. I don't know where where else we're published, Uh, but also Vet Story, folks. It's a story about veteran stories from veterans in their words, not mine. Go check it out. Uh, am I missing anything else, Joe? I don't think so, man. Make sure you check out the Connecting Vets uh, gift shop. We're going to set up a gift shop now. because I'm I'm going to merch. We got to merch, man. We got to merch out. ConnectingVets.com. Mugs. ConnectingVets.com. Um, Diningware. Why not? Just like big CB logo on some plates. Uh, that's where we're going. I think that's what we should do. Let's merch out. Folks, that's right. ConnectingVets.com. We're going to merch out. We're going to sell out. I will see you